Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have you ever said, why? Why is this happening? What's going on in the world? Why is this happening? Nice. Why? Why do these things keep happening to me? We planned that. I think um, maybe more than ever in the last couple of weeks, that question is something that, that we are asking ourselves. Why do these things happen? What is going on in the world? And as we've looked at the book of Revelation these last, is this week 18? Yeah. 18 weeks. Um, we see this this pattern in the book of Revelation of what's going to happen. And we recognize that we're not at the end yet. And we know who's going to win. And that's the point of the book of Revelation, is that we would see who wins. And so that we could be on the right side of that. And so when we look out in the world and we see the things that are happening in this day and age, we can, we can look at this book and take comfort in the fact that the world is not as it was meant to be. But someday it's going to get better. And God wins. And so we can look at the book of Revelation, we can see that, and we, and we can know that, that no matter what happens in this world, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so when things are happening, floods and fires and shootings and earthquakes, we can look at the Word of God and see, I know this is coming, I know it's going to get worse, but, but someday it's going to be made right. And so as we look at the passage today, as we look at Revelation 19 and 20, I want you to, to notice four things. One day, evil will be stopped. One day, sin will be judged. One day, unity with Christ will become real. And someday, Christ will reign. As we look at Revelation 19 and 20, we're going to see these four things kind of unfold. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Revelation 19. Um, we can almost just read Revelation 19 and 20 and say, see you next week. Mark's done a good job of explaining what a lot of the things mean in, in the book of Revelation. And so there's not going to be a lot of new things that we come across. So we're really just going to kind of go right into it and, and see what we see here. So Revelation 19, 1 through 5, um, we're looking back at last week and, and Babylon has fallen, the, the, that great city that was just a haven for um, sin. It, it is a picture of what the world will finally become. The culture as we know it will be so degraded that that. Satan is the one that is worshipped throughout. And so the city will have fallen. God will have taken care of that city. And so here we have rejoicing in heaven. And so let's read, um, let's start right here, Revelation 19, verse 1. John says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged 
on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. So in, in heaven there's rejoicing over sin being punished and judged. And things are beginning to be set right here, we get to see. We get to see a picture into the end as things are beginning to, from wrong to right. As they move from what is how it's not meant to be, what Genesis 3 begun when we fell, and the consequences of that, to now we get to see the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation, which we'll see next week more um, thoroughly, but this is the beginning of that. This is the beginning of the end of evil, of sin. And so it's exciting because we can look around the world around us and see that that's what we want. We, we want the end of all those things. And we want the end of suffering and sin and evil. And so we look forward to Jesus coming. And that's what we get to see right here. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We get to to see this someday. We get to participate in this. Someday, unity with Christ will become real. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible talks about. This is us that this is referring to. We get to be unified with Christ once and for always at this moment here. And we get to have a little window into this happening. Sin is judged. Evil is put away. And we are unified with Christ in this moment. And things are beginning to be how they were meant to be. It says here in verse 8 that um, the bride clothed herself with fine linen, bright and pure, and that fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And this can mean two things. It can either mean this is the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in, which is true, and it's probably part of that, but but this is also referring to the righteous deeds that the saints did as a result of the righteous work of Christ. So it's twofold. It's both the, the works that God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10, um, that, that we've done, but it's also the work that Christ has done in and through us. Verse 9. So we've seen so far, we've seen celebration of Sin being judged, evil being judged, being stopped. And now we've seen unity with Christ becoming real. And verse 9, we'll see, we'll continue to see this unity. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, and this is just a side note, but the angel that's giving John this vision, John gets distracted by the greatness of this moment and what he's seeing. And so he's like, I've got to do something about this. And so he starts to worship this angel. And the angel's like, stop it. I've misdirected. I'm not the one you're supposed to be worshiping. I'm just a servant like you. And so just a side note. Make sure your worship is directed in the right things. Because we can look around the world and we can see the the things that are going. And and sometimes we can get too focused on the wrong thing. And the reality is um, the right thing is coming. And the right thing is right before us. And that's Christ. Verse 11. Uh, Verses 11 and 21, we get to watch Jesus come. Um, So the four things I ask you to to think about as we read this passage, um, evil will be stopped, sin will be judged, we will have real unity with Christ, and Jesus will come and reign again. And so we're going to see him now come down. So look look at these verses with me, verses 11 through 21 now. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in Righteousness, he judges and makes war. Uh, one time, uh, I was leading a junior high boys Bible study when I was a college student in my parents' garage, and there was like 20 junior high boys, and we're there. Junior high boys always want to go through the book of Revelation, and so we got to this point, and they're like, whoa, and they're like, can we draw pictures of this? So I had all these like crazy pictures of Jesus in this moment. And as we read this description, I want you to like put yourself in the mind of a 13-year-old boy. Because it gets a lot more awesome if you can do that. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I'm going to skip verse 14 and come back to that. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is like, as gamers would say, this is like OP Jesus, overpowered. Like, this is, there's no messing with this one. He's not going to be put up on the cross again. That He already did that for us. This is Jesus coming to do business and take care of things. And put a stop to, to everything that's wrong. And, and we need to take comfort in the fact that he will do that. Sometimes we get caught up in the fact that why would God allow evil? And the reality is God has allowed evil in this world. But he is going to do something about it someday. And so when we look at the world around us and we see the things that are going on and we see the things happening in our own lives, we know that Jesus is going to make it right. And he is powerful enough to do it and we see this picture of jesus and uh, and hopefully you had your junior high boy uh, in mind when you were thinking about this jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth and the fire in his eyes or maybe you that mural downtown on that church or building this is this is jesus ready to do battle 
And guess what? Verse 14, we're with him. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. I want to point out a couple things about the description of Jesus that we didn't get into yet. Um, He has a name that no one knows but himself. We don't know what this name is. I'm not going to try to guess for you. Jesus is the eternal God. And he has a name that we, we, we can't completely comprehend who Jesus is because he's so holy. And so to think about that in relation to what he's done for us is pretty incredible. That he, in Philippians 2, it talks about how he has given up um, his deity to come to, to be a servant for us and to die for us. And, and that's incredible, that this God would become man and dwell among us, taking the form of a servant. It's, it's incredible. He's clothed in a robe, verse 13, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Jesus comes, and he's wearing a robe dipped in blood, and this is a picture not just of his own blood, that he paid the price for our righteousness, our sin, to make us righteous, but that he's coming to to deal with evil. This picture is supposed to, to make us realize, like, Jesus is not messing around here. This picture of Jesus is supposed to give us a sense of urgency for the fact that that sin will be dealt with. And if we're not a follower of Christ, if we don't have our hope in Christ, we will be dealt with. The world will be dealt with. The people that don't know Christ will be dealt with because they have chosen to deny Christ. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to deal with that unbelief and that unrepentance and the sin and wickedness that that we all once um, were, were walking in. And so when we look at this Jesus, we recognize that, that the most loving thing that he can do for us is to deal with what is wrong in the world. And so we need to remember that and have a sense of urgency for those around us that don't know him. And he's called the Word of God. This should bring us back to something else that the Apostle John wrote about in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Was in the beginning with God. Jesus is eternal. And he, he, he is the action of God's words. He is the embodiment of, of what God has said and, and the will of God. And so when, when God speaks, Jesus acts. And so Jesus comes and he's going to, to fulfill the will of God. Things are going to be set right. And then right after this, it has a side note in the description of Jesus. And it says that we're with him. And then it talks about the sword that is in his mouth that he's going to use to judge nations. Right after it's just said that he's the word of God. So when you think about this, it's possible. And with Revelation, we have to be careful because it hasn't happened yet. We don't know how the end is going to happen. We do know that it will happen, but we don't know exactly how this is going to unfold. 
But, but based on some of these things that it's saying, it's possible that Jesus is going to show up and we're going to be with him and he's going to speak and that's it. Just by the power of his voice is he going to deal with sin and evil and wickedness on this earth because he's that powerful. So he's going to come and he's going to, with the word of God, the, the sharp mouth, the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm not going to get, what, get into what this means too much. Um, if you are one that, like, this is the reason you have a tattoo is because you read this verse and you're like, yeah, Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh. You might think I'm joking, but I've heard this a lot. Like, this is not a proof text for a reason to get a tattoo. You don't need this verse to tell you it's okay. If, if you're using this verse to tell you it's okay, it's probably not a good idea. Um, if you're using this to justify that. But that's not what this is saying. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He probably has a sash or something that says that. Or, or um, some scholars think that... Um, it's on his, it goes down on his thigh because that's where the sword should be and it's just saying how powerful he is, who he really is. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, we can't get too much into why it's on his thigh. Um, it's on his robe and on his thigh. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we should focus on. Um, that's who he is. <coughs> All right, let's continue. So, Evil has been stopped. There was celebrating in heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb has occurred. Unity with Christ has begun. Jesus has come and he's dealing with sin. He's the word of God. We are with him. And we stand with him to do battle. And then the battle happens. And guess what we do? Nothing. We don't have to do anything because Jesus is here to do it. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing on in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and their riders, and all the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in its presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. They were thrown. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds gorged with their flesh. Kind of a disturbing picture. And it should give us a sense of urgency that sin will be dealt with. And once sin has been dealt with, there's a sigh, a deep breath. We, we get to spend eternity with Christ. And that starts with this thousand years. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Side note, why must he be released for a little while? I don't know. It doesn't really say here. Um, God knows. That's important that we understand that. Um, There's lots of speculation about this. There's no 100% right answer for this. We we can't know for certain, but I can tell you we will know someday. Um, I will tell you that the thousand years equals a thousand years, probably. Lots of people have different views on what that means. I don't it hasn't happened yet, at least in my view. There are views that they think that we're in the thousand-year period. Um, I don't agree with that view. Um, but I think a thousand years probably means a thousand years. But I do know this. When, it's, when the thousand years is over, we will know. And the thousand years will end someday. We will find out, and we will know when it's over. That Those two things I know for sure. We will find out. And we'll know when it's over. Um, But until then, we'll just have to wait and see. So, what happens in this thousand year period? Verse 4. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads and on their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Okay, so what happens here is called the first resurrection. During this thousand year reign on the planet Earth, where we are today, all the believers in Christ will reign with him for a thousand years. Those who have died, those who have lived through this period, those who did not worship the beast, those who came to faith in Christ, those who were killed as a result of their their belief in Christ, we come and we reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years, um, oh, let me not get too far ahead of myself. The rest of the dead in Christ did not come to life until, or the rest of the dead, sorry, I can't say dead in Christ. I got, I I read that wrong. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So the only people that come to life at this point that are resurrected or that come with Christ are those who are followers of Christ, believers in Christ. Everyone who's not, they do not come here. So this is only people that are Christ followers at this point, that are on the earth. Now there's going to be questions that come up because this, um, you'll see. Blessed, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And then some. The second death has no power. The people that are here is every believer ever. 
and they will never see death. They will be given their resurrected bodies, their glorified bodies someday, and after a thousand year periods, we believe, um, and, and they will reign with Christ forever and experience eternal unity with him, and it's going to be awesome. Verse 7, the thousand years ends, and when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to do battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So who are these people that Satan deceives when all that's on earth supposedly are believers in Christ? Good question. I don't know. There's lots of different views on this also, and so I don't want to get too hung up on the ins and outs of what this means because it hasn't happened yet. I can't totally tell you what has happened, but I do know this. God wins at the end. And um, I think the best answer is that these are people either that didn't die during this final battle where Jesus shows up to deal with sin, or these are the offspring of the people that are still on earth that, have, that haven't died yet. So they, they're believers in Christ that have made it all the way through the tribulation, all the way to the end. People that have come to faith in Christ and they have offspring during this thousand years. And they're people that haven't put their faith in Christ. And a thousand years is a long time to gather a lot of people. And um, Satan deceives them again somehow, which in my mind, seems pretty incredible. Here we have unity with Christ. Like, we get to experience him. But it shows you the heart of man and that we are desperately wicked and apart from Christ, we will serve ourselves. And so Satan is going to come and exploit that one last time. And, and here's something amazing. It says that he comes to do battle and they number, their, their numbers like the sands of the sea. This is their, this is their last hurrah. And, and here's how quickly it ends. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil had been deceived, who had deceived them, was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. They Here they come. They're like, we're going to do battle. And nope, fire from heaven. They're done. Gone. God will take care of evil and sin, and, and we need to know that. When things in this world happen that don't look right, don't feel right, that are wrong, Jesus is coming, and he will deal with it. And we need to take comfort in that. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Just like that, there's no more heaven, there's no more earth, Everything that we know is gone. Next week we'll get into what comes next, but the earth and the sky as we know it is no more. The creation as we know it is done. And there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. 
Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What this is saying here is that after this thousand-year period has ended, after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire himself. Some people think that Satan is like the king of hell. That's not true. Satan is a prisoner in hell. He will suffer for eternity. And so what happens here in verse 11 or 12, all of the rest of the people that had not put their faith in Christ are raised and given resurrected bodies and judged. And it says they're judged based on their deeds. And and what this means is not that they might have a chance, but it's gonna, they're going to recognize that, that they had a chance and they blew it. They had every opportunity to, to follow Jesus and they didn't. And they're going to see that their deeds could never save themselves. And that all they had to do was put their faith in Jesus and that they didn't. And they're going to recognize that that they deserve what they are getting. And so once again, we should be filled with a certain sense of urgency knowing that this is what's going to happen. That we know people that need Jesus. And it should give us a heart for the lost. It should also give us comfort to know that sin will be judged. Death will end. Evil will be stopped. Unity will be a reality with Christ forever. We will reign with Him. Jesus will take the throne. I just want to read you a couple passages and then we'll be done here. We live in troubling times. Matthew 24, 6 says there will be wars and rumors of wars. And in Matthew 24, it goes on a long description. I think we read this a couple weeks ago. Um, in the times that we live and in the times of the end times, it's going to be hard and it's going to get worse. But we need to remember this. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, if I can find it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. In Hebrews 12, I want to read that to you also. Um, 12, we're going to skip all the way to 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We worship a God that cannot be shaken. We are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And when our world as we know it seems to be shaking, we need to remember where our citizenship lies. And that in Hebrews 13, 14, it says... For we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. We are citizens of the city that is to come. 
And we need to take heart in the fact that sin will be dealt with. Evil will be stopped. Unity will become real. And Jesus will reign. And we are citizens of the kingdom that Christ reigns. And that we should take great comfort in. And in the meantime, I would challenge you to read Hebrews 13. Because it gives you a great, this is what we should do in the meantime. That's your homework. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace and your power, Lord, that, that we can know you, that you, the God of the universe, has, has come down so that we can have a right relationship with you. And, and so we praise you for that. We just ask that we would um, take comfort in the fact that you are king and that you will reign forever and deal with all that's wrong in this world. And so we praise you for that and we just ask that you would draw us near to you now, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.